Hi, everyone. This is Jack, co-host of the Summer Reading Podcast, coming at you live, not live, but not dead either, far in the future, before we even start to tell you that we like to swear. It's an explicit podcast. It's not crazy, uh, but we do say bad words, you know, like fooey, and we call each other cur a lot, like almost nonstop, and uh, what have you. We're good for a good what have you here uh, here and there. So just so you know, if you want to protect your, your delicate paper ears from uh, our, our cutting remarks, um, just be aware of that. I don't know about you, but the the imagism in Cisneros' House on Mango Street, brah, really solidifies the idea of uh, a Latino neighborhood in Chicago, right? Yeah, totes. And you just bring it in. Totes. There's no surfers going totes these days. Totes. Welcome to the Summer Reading Podcast, the podcast where a professor and a librarian review all of the books that you were assigned to read in English class. I am your professor. My name is Jack. And I am your librarian. My name is Marty. And here's something that we did the first episode that we forgot to do for the second episode, Marty, but my pronouns are he, him. (gasps) My God, that's right. We didn't do that. Mine are she, her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I did. And that's important. I I don't know if you've ever seen the, the show Taskmaster. No. Watch an episode. You'd really like Taskmaster. Okay. There's this one season where uh, they they always, <laughs> for, for most of the seasons, it's like you have three white men, you have one man of color, and you have one white woman. Okay. Like, that's it. They, they mix it up as it goes on. But there's this one uh, season where all of the uh, contestants had like traditional male names mm. and it's all on YouTube. So you can like watch it all on YouTube. And I just see the little, the description. I see that they're all like, and they're all like British. So I, I don't know the British comedians um, until I watched Taskmaster. And I was like, did they just not get any women for, <laughs> for this whole season? And then, and then they like, oh, incredible. The, the episode starts and I'm there like, oh, okay, no, 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 no. They got women. Just my worldview is... Um, skewed. Skewed. We'll skewed. say skewed. Yes. Also, I'm trying to be cognizant of my ums and uhs because I taught it today. I was teaching like how to interview today to my international oh, students. Oh, seriously? And one of the things on the... See, this is me not umming and on. One of the things on the presentation is to be conscious of your verbal tics. Ah. So when you're interviewing, the the suggestion is to err on the side of a pause rather than uh um. Gotcha. But I'm an ummer. I'm an R. I I am an ummer. Am I an ummer? I don't know if I am. And now I'm going to be thinking about it probably the whole time we're recording and speaking. Um. Oh, there we go. Um, yep, uh, yep. When she started. I... <laughs> the worst thing is everyone listening to this is going to go home yeah. and they're going to be like, um, damn it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I say, I, I feel like one of my verbal tics is I say right a lot. Like I sound I like, like that one though. I sound like a, like a surfer. <laughs> uh, bro. Right, right, man. Like, right. Bro. 
I don't know about you, but the the imagism in Cisneros' House on Mango Street, bra, bra. really solidifies the idea of uh, a Latino neighborhood in Chicago, right? Yeah, totes. And you just bring it in. Totes. There's no surfers going totes these days. Totes. I was about to be like, no, I'm on board for the right, but the totes, I draw the line the totes, as if I don't, as do if it. I don't say totes <laughs> on the reg. Constantly. Yeah. All right. Okay. So today's book is The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. Had you read this book before? Yes. I yeah? have read this. I read it initially in, I want to say eighth grade. And then I do believe I had reread it once after that. How about okay. you? Eighth grade? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That oh, yeah. that feels you know you know what actually no, they were teaching us about the sex oh, in sure. eighth grade. Yeah. They yeah. were teaching us about that. I remember very fondly they were teaching the girls about the menstrual cycle and they brought all the boys into the other room and gave them a coloring page. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, very, yeah. very wonderful. Men, I... don't, men don't need to know about menstruation, right? No, 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 no. Most don't. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> um uh, so I did not read uh, House on Mango Street in school. Okay. This was another free book cart find from <gasps> nice. my... Nice! Yeah, from my uh, college. And when I found it, in fact, I actually got this twice from the free book cart. I saw it and I was like, that's a, that's a title I recognize. And it's short. I took it off the shelf, and then, like, a couple months later, maybe it was the next semester, there was, like, a nicer copy. Oh, nice. So I was, like, I swapped them out, and Sweet. I was, like, look at me playing the game. Yeah. No, I'm not hoarding them. And it was, like, the same edition. It oh, was just, like, that's brilliant. a nice. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it was, it was that. And I had not read this for school, but I had read um, Sandra Cisneros's uh, short story, Barbecue. I feel like you mentioned this before, and I never actually read it. Um, yeah. So I'm going to write that I, down, well, actually. I read it. You, you can see it. Right now, it's online for free. It's about a page and a half long. It's okay. very short. And it's uh, all, all I really remember about what I learned from that short story was the English teacher said all of our interpretations of the tone were wrong. Oh, that's nice. Oh, uh, which which at the time, like when you're when you're in English class and you're in upper level English class, when like half the kids are either checked out or please approve of me or I'll die. Yeah. Um. That's rough. Uh, the like saying, oh no, the the tone is blah blah blah. It's not really blah blah blah, but I can see why you'd say that. Mm-hmm. At the time, I'm like, geez, as. Uh, an aspiring English major myself. I was like, oh, this is terrible. I'm yeah. never going to be able to do it. And now that I'm an English professor, uh, I'm like, you actually, whether or not you think that the tone is correct, the fact that many people are having this reading of something mm. should have value. Like the fact that groups of people can engage in this media in ways other than either you intended or the author intended still has stock. I love that. I love that that is the takeaway that you have from that experience as a student and then becoming a professor. Like I think yeah. that's really important. Like like I I help I help students with standardized test prep mm-hmm. sometimes and like I'm very involved in the process of um the reading comprehension. Yeah. 
questions and they'll give you like a passage and you they'll ask questions and they'll give you five options and three will be wrong one will be almost and one will be right and i hate that one i hate that construction i don't think tests are there to trip you up right um they should not be and i hate that because we're teaching reading comprehension to the point that there is a right interpretation of something yeah where true reading comprehension is your ability to engage in media and take away what works for you or mm-hmm. what you need to learn. And so being open to engaging in a community rather than saying there's a right answer to it. And this sort of academic binarism, I think, isn't helping anyone. Right, uh, right. But we, still, but we still teach that way. Yeah. Um, uh, but go, like going off of that, that, that's my experience with Sandra Cisneros. It wasn't until a couple of years later when I got this off the free book cart and I read it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, when I read it for the first time, I was like, whatever. <gasps> really? Yep. I was like, whatever. Oh, that is so fascinating. Um, I, I I was like, I sped through it very quick. Okay. Like, it doesn't do anything for me, uh, which was a big downer because let me tell you, I love books about houses. I love books about streets and I love books about fruit. So the house on Mango Street ticks, um, ticks, all, those ticks boxes. all those boxes for me. Um, and... <laughs> And so reading through it, I was like, whatever. And then you suggested that we read this for the podcast. And I was like, yeah, no, that's that's good. I'll, I'll revisit it. And I yeah. loved it. It's beautiful. I loved it uh, so yeah. much. What, what was your experience reading, reading this? So when I first read it, um, I – it's funny. I actually had a very visceral memory and connection of – the um the story about the rice sandwich mm-hmm. like i remember reading that in school and being just absolutely like knocked over by that story like how um i i just connected i felt to to esperanza in that yes. situation um and how how devastating it is when you have an adult take this thing that you were so excited about and so you know thrilled to like be a part of this group of kids that eats at school like oh my god that's so exciting and then to just have this nun who's in this place of power like throw it in her face like you don't belong here and it just like reading it as an adult I can see how um how like culturally um Esperanza is obviously having a very different experience than I did as a young white girl um but at the same time I I can connect so well with that and I think uh, to me that's really the beauty of this book is that all of these little stories all of these little vignettes are happening in a very specific setting but they're dealing with these universal experiences that everybody has, but they're not shying away from the cultural impact of like being, you know, poor and being Latinx and um, living in an urban environment and, you know, the, the um, steeping of um, <laughs> masculinity and, and religion and all of that. Um, it's, it's brilliant. I just, I love, I love this book. And I think if I'm remembering right, I loved it every time I read it. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a rereader. 
Yeah, I am a big rereader. And um and it's interesting because I am a I am actually a big fan of this style where um it's seemingly I don't want to say disconnected, but each it, there's not like a through line. There's not a, you know, oh, one day Esperanza walks to school. The next day she walks to school in this habit. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like yeah. it, it's um, a, a looser narrative, you know, still connected, but um, more focused on um, different people, different topics, um, different timelines. I really love that. Yeah. And I love I love the way she weaves it all together. So shall, shall we get into this? Yeah, we should. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm like so, I'm waxing poetic, giving everything away. <laughs> it's okay. It, two strikes, but it's okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So okay. So House on Mango Street, uh, published 1984. Uh, 1984. I don't know who originally published it, but I don't think it's as important. Um, the premise of this book is you have this main character, a young girl named Esperanza. Her family moves to the house on Mango Street. Uh, this street is not classified as a, a very uh, well-kept neighborhood, uh, and the house itself is indicative of that, but still there's a sense of ownership over the house because it is still nicer uh, of a living situation than the family previously had when they were in their apartment. It follows a year in the life of Esperanza, uh, things like her interactions with the people of, of Mango Street, uh, her becoming with her friendships and her own sexuality and her relationship with her family, primarily her younger sister, Nanny. Yes, uh, Nanny. Does that does that cover it? Would you say? Yeah, I think so. Okay, and um, as yeah, as you alluded to earlier, uh, the story is told primarily through a series of vignettes, and I agree with you. I love it. I love. Yeah. I love it. Um, I think, I think this might've come up when he talked about color purple, but I think it's a term I originally learned when studying Virginia Woolf, which was, uh, less of a concern for practical language. So practical language, what I mean by that is he walked to the door. Right. They lived there for five years. These the sentences that don't necessarily have much artistic value, uh, but they they do exist for the reader's ability to picture the events happening and the characters moving through space. Things that sort of practically engage the story. Um, and when you have something like, like these vignettes, and the, primarily the way Virginia Woolf was using it, rather than chopping it up and using vignettes, is she was using stream of consciousness. So you're with one character, then a char another character walks by, and then you're with that character that's walking by. Um, uh, very, very different. They're very different writers, I would say. Right, um, right. Uh, not, not so much that they're both kind of interested in space, and space mm -hmm. as ownership. Uh, and one of the things that I was interested, and in, I'd love your take on it, is... All three of the books we've done so far, I feel like, have engaged with the concept of yes. ownership of space and land and home, and home um, mm -hmm. which would be interesting if, if we take a step back and we look at like literature and the American tradition in particular. How everyone is concerned, how we have Steinbeck and we have Walker and we have Cisneros, all, all sort of looking at it through that lens. Yes. Um, 
a little bit about uh, Cisneros, and then and then I'll stop steamrolling. But I just want to. No, I love <laughs> it. No, it's good. It's important for the listeners. It's important for us to get this all out on the table. So, um, so. I feel like this is not a part. This is an artless way of saying it. But Cisneros is still with us. Um, <laughs> that is not artless. I, it's fine. <laughs> I was. I'm surprised because like now, like currently, as of recording this, the survivor rate of the authors is 66. percent um Ooh. and uh i think it's just like i expected us to be working with people who not only were dead but long dead yeah um, yeah and alice walker and sandra cisneros are both still with, still us. with us thankfully thank god um, and uh according to uh womenshistory.org uh-huh. Not only is Sandra Cisneros still with us, she's living in Mexico with four dogs. <gasps> four dogs! Oh, and in Mexico. That sounds wonderful. Yep, so her parents uh, she, her parents were both Mexican, moved mm-hmm. to Chicago where she was born. So she was born in Chicago where the story uh, House on Mango Street takes place. Uh, and then um, I don't know, one thing leads to another. She has this hugely successful career. Uh, she's a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop, 1978. Uh, yes. If if that has credence with you, if you're a person who believes in names and prestige, um, many people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and throughout that, she has won many awards, recognized for uh, for her writing. I think the one one of the more recent ones and most notable is September 22nd, 2016, Barack Obama awards Sandra Cisneros the National Medal of Arts. Uh, Which is like, good. That's lovely. Yeah, good good on her. Um, yeah. Good on her. So that is sort of like the, the sweeping overview if you want some background on C- Sandra Cisneros. Um, <laughs> also, depending on the edition of House on Mango Street that you read... Um, I happened to read the 25th anniversary edition this time. I, for all you listeners, I'm holding the book up to the, the screen so Jack can see it too. Um, uh, in all fairness, I'll show you mine. I'll show, oh, I'll show you mine one... if you show me yours. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> that's the one I read in, in middle school, in junior high, whatever grade, eighth grade. Um, so this has a beautiful foreword um, by Sandra Cisneros and... It is really, really lovely, and it, she talks a lot about um, her journey as a writer um, and her journey from her home of, you know, what she based Mango Street on, um, and it's it's quite lovely. And as, you know, as someone who writes and appreciates literature, I think you would enjoy it, so I highly recommend checking it out. I will. I like the cover of, of the <laughs> that edition better. Yeah, um, the cover is, I, honest to God, I shouldn't say this, but I do judge books by their cover a lot. And If, um, if you're one, listening to this and you're not judging books on by their cover, you're probably a bit of a liar. <laughs> uh, we all say you shouldn't, yeah. but the cover is an advertisement. And if it's an it ugly is. looking book, you're going to be less interested in picking it up off the shelf. So I yep. agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, but she... she her writing about her writing process, her journey to becoming a writer and who she is today is quite beautiful. So highly recommend that. Sweet. 
All right, so yeah. I, I wanted to, I haven't done it this way before, but I kind of wanted to start with um, just this, a specific part, and I actually found it before we began, so I, I Ooh, wouldn't be. Good. Uh, so this is from the chapter um, or the vignette called Hips. Oh, um, yes. And there it's Esperanza, Nenny, and then... Esperanza's friends, uh, Lucy and Rachel, and they're talking about mm-hmm. hips. Um, mm-hmm. And there's this particular part that just enchanted me. And I think enchanted is an insufficient word, but it's the one I have. It's fair. Um, so it's the bottom of the page. They're talking about, like, why you need hips, where where hips come from, what goes on, blah, blah, blah. The... Mm-hmm. You need them to dance, says Lucy. If you don't get them, you may turn into a man. Nanny says this, and she <laughs> believes it. She is this way because of her age. That's right, I add, before Lucy or Rachel can make fun of her. She is stupid, all right, but she is my sister. Mm. And so that um, that moment, I think, is brilliant because in just so few lines, you, you get an entire group dynamic, um, and you get this entire history or not a history, but a portrait of the social dynamics among this group of young girls. And how you can tell that from the initial impulse to protect and agree with her daughter, her daughter, I've been sorry, her sister. sister. I've been thinking about, I've been writing about mothers and daughters recently. So so her sister, um, you can see that there's this initial impulse that is like, okay, we may make fun of other people for other things, but she is my sister. Mm-hmm. So I'm, go- I'm going to protect her from the world. So we'll, we can make these jokes, but right now she's not ready for it. There's the sense of responsibility she has for her sister. Uh, and it's such a, like, a, sweeping, a sweeping way of showing it. Just like, she is mm-hmm. my sister. Like, I'm going to tell you up front. And that, that moment really solidifies part of, part of the heart of this book for me. You have a sense of community and you have a sense of responsibility and you have a sense of becoming. Yeah. Uh, in that. And, and it's really encapsulated in that tenderness. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for, excuse me, I'm choking up. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for tenderness. Uh, and whenever we have these books that have these violent and heart-wrenching moments like sexual assault which happens in this book uh these moments that prove like okay life isn't just torture there's never just torture in life we get into sort of sisyphusian theory if like that's the case and so i think this is a really great thing of like these are these girls they're becoming in their own bodies uh they're Mm -hmm. curious we, we've got we've got our friend's little sister hanging out with us and she's participating and she sounds a little silly but we she's here anyway and her sister's protecting her so uh, that that really is like this wonderful moment for me of yeah of this is the community this or yeah. not the community but this is community mm-hmm. capital c mm-hmm. yeah no totally it's um and there is so much of that in this book and it's um uh, it's it's community among friends among family and it's 
and like you said, like it, there is serious trauma. Um, I, I actually wrote down in my notes today um, that I remember reading the chapter of Red Clowns mm-hmm. as a young teenager and just being horrified, like so, and reading it as an adult, also horrified, you know, just like that, that Esperanza has this experience that she feels abandoned by her friend and then she is assaulted. It's like, oh, um, and, but as you said, there's so much, um, there's a lot of warmth, there's a lot of beauty in this book, and it's often found in very unlikely places. Um, and I also really love that Cisneros takes time to challenge society in a lot of ways in this book. Yes. And, and challenge that community that she lives in and loves um, and is a part of. And the, the chapter that I marked um, was Sally, because um, this was another one that always stuck with me when I read this book. And um, the very last sentence of the chapter is, to me, so striking and so beautiful. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it, since you got to read a bit. <laughs> uh, and it, let me make sure I start in the right spot. Yeah. And no one could yell at you if they saw you out in the dark, leaning against a car, leaning against somebody without someone thinking you are bad, without somebody saying it is wrong, without the whole world wanting for you to make a mistake, when all you wanted, all you wanted, Sally, was to love and to love and to love and to love. And no one could call that crazy. And I just, that is like so beautiful and poignant. And um, to take this image of a young teenage girl leaning against a car with a boy and everybody is seeing this and judging and especially if she is a young teenage girl of color. There's this whole mm-hmm. other lens that society is projecting. And, and Cisneros takes that and says, she's just wanting love. Like, can we all just fucking stop? <laughs> you, know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and like, like giving space for that to not necessarily be a dark and seedy thing. It's a, it's a very human yearning. Yeah, for love. There, there's this, if I, if I may build off of that. Yeah. It, to, it, it feels like part of what Cisneros does is, and this is sort of going back to your comment earlier on universality, how it feels like the, the events are specific, but the interpretation is universal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's, I think it's, I think it's going to be a little circuitous, so bear with me. Um, but there's this moment in the book where Cisneros points out that the people who don't know us will be afraid of us. Mm. And it, like speaking to she like Cisneros will tell you what's happening and she will tell you the interpretation of what's happening or the perception of what's happening. So she will tell you that a girl is leaning against a car. This is what she will be perceived as. This is the heart 
like this is the heart or the reality uh, of the experience. Uh, so when you have like, okay, maybe she's being flirtatious. She's not being flirtatious. She's like, like she's not being flirtatious in any sort of promiscuous or scandalous or lascivious way. She's being flirtatious in the way that a teenage girl will be flirtatious. It's her yes. time. Like this is developmentally on, like on time. On point. On point yes. for this person and saying like, this is what people will judge, judge her for, but this is the beauty of what she's experiencing. And mm-hmm. that, that thread throughout the book, I think is really worthwhile because when you get to that idea of what's universal, uh, which is a, a phrase that I actually, I'm always a little skeptical about using when it comes to talking about literature. For sure, um, yeah. Because I, 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 th- I hear it too much with Shakespeare. <laughs> I, hear, I hear it too much for Shakespeare. Yes. And I'm not going to speak too much about it because I feel like as we do this, my, my opinions on, on um, Shakespeare and the Academy will come out more and more. And I don't, I don't need a bunch of Shakespeare scholars sort of at my heels. Scandal. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm specifically talking about my friend Dan. So if Dan's listening to this, don't <gasps> at me when I talk about Shakespeare. We agree in many respects. Um, Look out, Dan. And, um, the idea of universality being like this is something everyone can relate to. I love mm-hmm. that when it comes to sort of emotional engagement with someone. And mm-hmm. in particular, I think saying that something's universal is a scholar saying that there's a level of empathy that comes with engaging in this text. And yes, uh, and saying like, okay, how, how many people have been in love? How many people have been almost voyeuristic in watching other people's love and sort of being supportive in that love? Um, and the idea of that as a universal experience, I think it's very common, but I think it's dangerous to say universal uh, because I think in the end, it's such an absolute word. Yes. Um, and while, while I'm like, this is so raw and emotional and empathetic, the person who doesn't get that is going to be left out of something. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the fact that I think it's an incredibly successful book. It, it, uh, it's an incredibly successful moment. Um, and my, my utter love for House on Mango Street, uh, I think, sort of shines in these moments of this, this is what we're talking about. The, like, this is the moment. And here are all the layers of the moment in three or four sentences, if that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is a credit to her ability to render something with such acuity, passion, and lightness of touch. Yes. And I, I also appreciate that her language is... Um, I don't want to say spare. That's not the right word. She is to the point while not being, I don't know, clinical or like, uh, uh, she, she, like accessible. uh, Yes. Yes. She evokes emotion, but in an accessible way, um, such that as, a teenager you can read this and get it as an adult you can read it and get it it's um yeah yeah I, accessible is the word I, thank you like like i to to expand this so if we're looking at like how what do i want to do so 
We didn't always live on Mango Street. Before that, we lived on Loomis on the third floor. And before that, we lived on Keeler. That's how the book starts. So already with that, you get a sense that, the, one, there's a multiplicity of people. So you can mm-hmm. you can see that there's a, there's a family coming there, and that this family is moving around, yeah. Uh, and and you get the sense that okay, it, it there's a group of people, and they're unrooted, mm-hmm. somehow, mm-hmm. Uh, and you sort of you get that from just the sequence of lines, and it, like from that, if we were to look at someone like Dickens, and we bring in like it was the best of times, it was the worst of right. times, right? Uh, it was the something something of darkness, or it was the something something of despair. Yeah. Don't at me, Dickensian scholars. Um, <laughs> Don't at me. Oh, my the, God. <laughs> the idea there is look at all of the language Dickens is using to convey how contradictory the times are. That there is mm-hmm. so much going on, that there are people that are living their best lives, and that there are people who are dying in the streets. Right. Um, I, and you... And, that sort of roundabout way, I think there's a drop-off point. You're not going to be interested in that that after a while. Right. If you're required to read this as as an English student, you're just going to be dragging your yeah. feet. And so Cisneros sort of understands uh, understands that. And I, yeah. I, I want to I want to float this idea by you. Would you agree, potentially, that The House mm. on Mango Street is a young adult novel? Yes. All right. Why do you agree? I agree because it is a story told from a teenager's perspective that feels authentic to that experience of living in that time of your life, in that body. Um, There are... This is, I'm not going to go off on a total tangent, but there are several YA novels that I read that are being written. I I will say it seems to tend more towards the contemporary YA where um, the characters, a girl like Esperanza, 13 years old, is thinking and acting more like a 25-year-old in my reading. Okay, yeah, yeah, sort of new adulty. So this, to me, feels like a very authentic young adult novel mm-hmm. um, in that it is a young person and it is a young person's lived experience and um, emotions and approach to looking at the world. I, I love the word authenticity here because mm-hmm. I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of, like, when I read it for the first time and... Uh, you know, just being a... And you blew through a, it. A younger, well, I blew through it the second time, too. But I blew through it the second time uh, because I was so in love with it. Blew through it the, the first time because I'm like, oh, this is short. Um, <laughs> um, but it's an authentic experience. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I work a lot with YA. Um, I, my whole master's thesis was on, uh, on, on YA. And I think part of the issue with the, the like the, the divide between people who study and write and consider adult quote unquote adult literary fiction and young adult fiction as genre fiction, um, mm. I, I think comes down to the sense of can adults read this with a sense of authenticity? Okay. Um, and like 
I, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical with a lot of YA. I love a lot of YA. I love uh, The Hate You Give. I love We Were Liars. Oh, so I good. I love yes. Grasshopper Jungle. Um, I love so so many different uh, astonishing color of after i think it's a really mm-hmm. wonderful book um sadie by courtney summers I, i'm just rattling off oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yes uh, okay we'll talk about it a different time we'll talk about it oh my god yeah. i love i love that book um and uh i think part part of like what differentiates commercially between what makes ya for teenagers and ya for everyone quote unquote everyone um, mm-hmm. Maybe not everyone, but varying age groups. Um, is is this idea of believability and tone? So I think mm-hmm. YA has become to become to be associated with. Oh, we're identical twins, but my sister's still prettier than me, um, oh my and gosh. she's perfect, and she has the perfect boyfriend. But now it's chapter three, and I just realized that I can go invisible. So <laughs> now I, 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 prank, I pranked her into thinking that she actually doesn't like her boyfriend and now I'm dating her boyfriend and, and now it's chapter 20 and we're, we don't love each other, but we love each other because we're sisters. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's this yeah. I- idea yeah. of you're going, you're like painting by numbers with how many characters yes. you have, what the depth of the dynamic is. Um, right. And when you're talking about some someone like, and my understanding of YA or my definition that I use is typically books for or representing people between the ages of 13 and 19. Mm-hmm. Um a lot like and I'm seeing a lot of things now where people are classifying YA with characters that are in their mid twenties. I'm thinking of like Yoke yeah. by Mary H. K. Choi, which is a very enjoyable book. I like it a lot, but those characters are right. are in their twenties. There's a lot of shared tropes with that, but there's this idea of pers- a, a pursuant infantilizing of um younger peoples, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't doesn't sit well with me. But the House on Mango Street doesn't do that. Right. Yep. Yep. You're totally. It it is YA. Yeah. It is YA. It's about this adolescent becoming. Yeah. It's joining this community, but because it's got this literary quality, you're you're not going to go into an English department and sit and have people rally behind you by saying this is YA because Mm. to so many people, YA is genre. It's scary and icky, like science fiction and fantasy, and that is such a good point. um, Yes, yeah, and and that's it. Like I I had professors at um, my college who were like, "Don't write genre. Genre is for people who aren't taking their art seriously." And then they'd list off real writers, and one of them would be Stephen King, who's writing Mm -hmm. horror and fantasy and all the speculative fiction that's coming in with that. And so when you we have something like Sandra Cisneros. Uh, writing writing this book, it really is empowering to be like, no. The, the, I think it's Im- important because you're showing yeah. these adults the humanity behind these teenagers. The last yeah. the last thing we need is our fiction draw, drawing generational divides. And that's something right. that Sister I think does a really good job of is rendering, rendering teenage becoming in a way accessible to people who aren't teenagers anymore. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree with that. And I... Um, I do think that what I was talking about the, um, when, when you read 
these YA books where it doesn't seem like what you were saying, like the characters either don't seem authentic or as I was saying, they seem not, uh, it seems like an adult that they just gave an, a younger age. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, and I think a lot of that is... <laughs> How many books have you read that are like the 30 Rock Steve Buscemi meme? Oh my god. <laughs> yes. You just go, you walk in, it's like, oh, I could go for some YA, and then you have this, you have these people that do, like, when, when adults write kids a lot, you'll find, yes. you, you'll find, like, oh my god. It, 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 I feel like you're going to just start seeing this everywhere, but when adults write children for, like, adult fiction... Yep. You're going to have a character that looks at the kid and say, wow, you're rather smart for your age. Exactly. And that's the yep. writer absolving yep. themselves for yep. doing anything that might seem out of character for a kid rather than spending time with kids and getting to know kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so when you have exactly that of like, like it's... how do you do fellow kids? <laughs> and I often, I often find, or I often think, I don't find, what am I saying? Um, <laughs> I, I think that this is more a publishing problem in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. I think because people are seeing YA as genre, um, someone comes in with some you know high fantasy novel that they've been working on for 10 years and oh my God, look at this world I built. And they'll say, oh, but you know, if you made her 17, that could be YA. And so all they do is say, <laughs> you know, Lady... <laughs> Cumberbund is seven. Our good old. lady Cumberbund. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's YA. Yeah. Even though she's even though she's moving through the world as a thirty-five year old. Yeah, it's you know, it, it's like Like it's you get the marriage plot yes. coming back. And yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. So there's this there's this wonderful book. Um it's not for fun reading. It's like you don't bring it to the beach. Uh but distant distant reading by Franco Moretti. Oh. Um, oh, I feel like I've heard of this. I may have talked about it before. Probably. Um, he, if you do just read distant reading, I think that's the most interesting thing. He's a historian, um, and, and okay. a lot of it feels like a historian, but if you're, like, the metrics. I was interested in the metrics that he was looking at, but it's not important. Um, he One of his central tenets is looking, was looking at how in many ways, the stories that persist through time are the ones that had the most commercial appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. it's like when you go and you talk to your professors who have been studying the 1930s for 50 years, and they'll say, oh, no, the best book is uh, Gre- Gregory's Fallen of the Angels. Uh, only 50,000 were, were printed and only half of those sold. The rest they used to eat uh, because they couldn't afford potatoes. And, and they'll be like, that's writing. That's real writing. <laughs> um, and then instead it's the stuff like you get Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't say that as shade to Tree Grows in Brooklyn. I, I Oh, you better not love... be throwing shade at Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Listen, I love, I love my modernist Smiths. I love Betty Smith. I love mm. Dodie Smith. Um, I, uh, I go, we should do Tree Grows in Brooklyn. I love, I oh, love I would that. love that. Oh, yeah. Cause yeah. it's like, we'll do it. I, oh, we logged on today and I wanted to talk to you about my thoughts about writing in a, writing in America in the 1930s. I'm like, we don't have time for this. Um, 
oh please we need like a week-long retreat I, I, I'm, I'm walking in and i'm like marty good news i have three data points i'm about to give you my thesis on how uh, how oh there's God. a cyclical nature in how americans write their fiction and then i'm like no 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 focus 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 Cisneros. That's, <laughs> Cisneros. that's our focus. So yeah. the, the idea of like the things that will persist are things that will have commercial appeal. Mm. It's why mm. we're likely to be learning Harry Potter, I would say, years right. from now. Right. That because, not necessarily because, <laughs> and don't at me, Harry Potter fans. Um, <laughs> it might not be that Harry Potter itself is, is ma- masterfully crafted, but it was literature wise it was a titan of media it is a titan of mm-hmm. media uh, our understanding of the way that this persists and I, I think of things in terms of like ya what are we going to persist what were like the blockbuster ya books and i think of like john green's the fault on our stars i think of oh, andy yeah. thomas's the hate you give i think like these were blockbuster releases um mm-hmm. speak by laurie hall sanderson um mm-hmm. or maybe perks of being a wallflower by Stephen Chopsky yep. might be in there as well. Yeah. Um, and when we look at like the, the House on Mango Street, it's it's like this is something that I think has persisted, and I want to persist. Yes. Um, yes. So. I totally agree, and it and it has persisted in a different way than Fault in Our Stars, or um, I don't know. I guess. I would say it it lives in the same camp as um, the hate you give. I would imagine that's an interesting. But... Why why would you? Right? Um, I don't disagree. I maybe I mean honestly maybe it's just the through line of it being a story about a young woman of color mm-hmm. and her experience. Um, there, being yeah, sorry, I was about to jump. I feel like I'm no, just no, steamrolling no, you this whole time. No, no, Jack, it's okay. Jump in. I list, so I'll steamroll right back. So. Oh, just so you know, I listened to the podcast you're hanging John, and I've listened to it for years. And there was a yes, there, I think you've there told was me a this. point in time where listeners were like charting out who spoke more during the podcast <gasps> and let them know like the percentage oh, wow. of it. And I just feel like I'm just like talking over you so much. Um, it's okay, but I I feel like one of one of the things that you could look at in terms of the hate you give and the house on Mango Street is you could look at the terms of um, these brilliant uh, these brilliant writers. Um, mm-hmm. who are also women of color reclaiming their own narratives. Yeah. Um, and when we, yeah. we look at something like The Fault in Our Stars, which is, I like John Green. I, I read John Green books. Uh, it's hard to say if he's reclaiming a narrative mm-hmm. uh, rather than ex- exploring exploring one. Yes. Um, and uh, like with with that, I would say that's where I like align with the idea of this being in the same camp um, right right maybe camp's not the best word but in the same ballpark as uh there's not much difference between a camp and a ballpark <laughs> <laughs> between it hey to give and uh house yeah. on mango street yeah no i i would agree with that i think that's a great way to articulate um what my gut is telling me yeah because they they're not similar stories, really, um, but they they do have that. Um, they both have that power of authenticity to them as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Star in Hate You Give feels just as authentic to me reading 
as Esperanza. Um, it doesn't feel like, uh, I, I don't know. It doesn't feel like she's, um, she's a different voice being shoehorned into this character. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, she's not, yeah. what's up, what up fellow kids? Yes, exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, in, with Cisneros, if, I, I want to see if it's on the back of this book, but at the time of this edition coming out, mm-hmm. um, some someone was praising Cisneros for being, like, one of the best young authors of the time, and I love reading mm. those ads on books, because, you know, like, yeah. this book that is, I would say, uh, contemporarily a canonical American text at this point. Um, yes. It's funny to be like, oh, the great young. I'm like, no, she's been this around for a while. Yeah. Yep. And, yeah, but the idea, like, I don't think you need to have that sort of age proximity to empathetically render people from no. different... Um, temporal brackets or other forms of brackets i think a matter it's a matter of uh it's a matter of authenticity and empathy with the people that you're rendering uh and it's yeah. so you don't end up walking into the books that are like my sister is my identical twin but she's prettier but i can go invisible so i'm going to save the world so every time you start with this all i can think of is sweet valley high and... i'm not familiar with that <laughs> what I'm not familiar oh with my that. god jack <laughs> There's nobody goes invisible in Sweet Valley High, but it literally is two identical gorgeous blonde twin sisters in high school battling over boys and like oh my god, oh my god. like Eliz- Elizabeth is wearing the purple sweatsuit and we were going to dress the same and I want to wear the yellow one. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Sweet Valley High. Voice. It's it's like the Kristen Wiig character. <laughs> yeah. He's like yes. Yeah, well, I am under the color purple, so I, when I dress up in the day, you know, actually, I knew Sandra Cisneros when she wrote the book, and so I kind of, I kind of yeah, have like, I, I founded Chicago, um, so if you think about things, it's kind of like I wrote the book. Um, pretty much, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so, we digress. Wow, uh, sorry. I think one last thing I, I want to talk about in direct association with. Um, Sandra Cisneros. I just, I love this book so much. I feel like... It, we could talk about for, this. From the for... nature of it, it, it's just sort of branches. Yes. <laughs> Naturally. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that that sort of reflects the book itself, where it's not, mm-hmm. you don't have a through line. You have, you're here, and then you're here, and then you're here, and the character's aging every time you jump. But right. uh, it's still something new, and you get to know another part of this this wonderfully rendered community. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to talk about this is a theme because you know me I, I jumped to Spark Notes, of course, um, to to get some feedback on uh, what other people are saying about this. And one of the things that they pin as a major theme, um, which also now that I'm older too, I'm I always take that with a grain of salt now. And now that right. I'm a professor, that walking in and saying like. As a, as a high school student, I'll go and I'll click on themes and they'll have like mm-hmm. three or four themes. And then I'll be like, that's what the book is. That's not what the book is. No. That's not what the book no. is. It's like, that's yeah. how fu- that's how far the the intern got before. <laughs> uh, we used to always joke that um, any, any book that you had to write a paper on in English class, 
you could just say, well, the theme was death and destruction. <laughs> and then you just go from there. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but they pin um, sexuality versus autonomy. Mm, in this interesting. I thought th- I thought that was very interesting. Um, and one of the things that they cite is Esperanza's assessment of the other women, particularly the older women in the community, as being either trapped by their marriage or trapped by their children. Oh, which is why they're, wow. they're quote unquote stuck on Mango Street. Uh, huh. So I, I thought that that was a really interesting way of the interaction between. Uh, growing as a person and your relationship mm-hmm. to geography. Where Explain. you have growing as a person for through Esperanza's interpretation of many of the older women on Mango Street is mm-hmm. when they grew up, uh, when they grew up, they got married and they had kids mm-hmm. and now they're stuck mm-hmm. on this street. She's never quite in love with Mango Street. Yes. But she has a yeah. sense of ownership over it. And over the right. course of the book, when she's like, I like it when when the boys watch me dance. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I, like, I like feeling pretty. I like being with my friends. And mm-hmm. uh, the idea of she, she's, like, realizing that she has a sexuality. She mm-hmm. has a sexuality, and it's tied up, it's fraught, not, like, with the women that make up the street. Right. So the idea right. that she's never in love with Mango Street, but she has ownership over it. This is an improvement from her family's last place. Uh, but she also sees these other women, these older women, who cannot leave Mango Street. Yeah. So they're, yeah. they're stuck there either by their marriage or by their family in some way. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think, one, is really a great, wonderful, nuanced way of rendering um, parental relationships. Right. And how being a parent doesn't promise love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the narrative that we have is that if you are a parent, you will inherently love your child. When I would mm-hmm. say that there's many parents out there that say that they love their child when they resent their children um, mm-hmm. for being just what they're supposed to do. Um, right. I think we see see that understanding where how Esperanza's sexual becoming is intertwined with her understanding of Mango Street. And the women yeah. who make up the street uh, are stuck on the street. And yeah. she doesn't want to be stuck on the street, but she does want to be seen. She does want to be seen by these boys. She does want to have right. this sort of sexual life. She does want to grow up and become a person. And I, yeah. I, I love that there. It's such a subtle conflict. Yeah, uh, that comes through. It's like this. This is my family. I, I love them and I support them. Um, but at the same time but I don't want to be them I don't want to be them I don't want to be here for the rest of my life that's not how I want to be yeah and that is also a very authentic experience yes Um, multiplicity yeah yeah and one thing I love too is that she in having this awakening and this discovering of herself as as becoming a woman, becoming a sexual person, she also still has these moments of sliding back to being a child mm-hmm. and and moments where she becomes frightened by this growth within her. And I think that that's also very authentic. Um, the 
the shoes chapter, Mm -hmm. um, which I really love. Um, and that, that one really speaks to me of, you know, where she is, she's teetering on this line between childhood and womanhood. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's such, oh gosh, now I can't stop thinking about all of the different women in her community that she sees, that she comments on. And she even sees her friends going down that route. Yeah. So young. So horrifyingly young. Sent away, getting married. God, you know? And it's just, that is, good job, Spark Notes. That is a great, (laughs) that is a great theme to pick up on. And it is, like you said, it is incredibly subtle, but it's so, um, it's so persistent in there. Yeah. And, yeah. So, like, I liked I like that more than there. The, another thing that comes up in the book that I think is worth talking about, um, related sort of to how we perceive sexuality in the book, it's it's mm-hmm. links to marriage and children. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I I don't love um, ever <laughs> in books is uh, the divide between gender. Or I don't mm. want to say between gender because that I think implies a binary, but divide among gender. Yeah. Um, where boys boys are from Jupiter, women from Ve- yeah. Venus. Yeah. What's the men are from Mars, Mars. women are from Venus. I was yeah. thinking of I like I, Jupiter. <laughs> Jupiter's way no, better. <laughs> they go to Jupiter to get more stupider. Did you not? Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah. But I was like, that's not. That yeah. doesn't sound right. I feel like I'm conflating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got the Venus, though, right? I got Venus, right? Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah. You sure did. Just statistically, yeah. we had to name at least one of the planets after a woman, you know? That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, like, I, I don't like it um, mm. because I feel like it's persisting in the... Sorry. It's... I don't want to say uh, perpetuating. I wanted to say I wanted to say um, perpetrating. Ah, Um, but it's it's not that. I mean, it's perpetrating something, but that's got such a. It's perpetuating uh, these gendered divides, and I'm always on the fence Mm -hmm. about it because to be an accurate representation of this community, it's important Mm -hmm. to recognize that the characters in this world believe that there is this inherent divide between the men and the women right and the way it breaks down to like how the social power structures work and uh themes of sexual assault like the the assaulters are Mm -hmm. uh generally men in fiction um in this book they are men um Mm -hmm. moving as like a pack um so like it's it's true to itself um but i'm at this place now where if if we are rendering to and this is now me as the the 2022 reader not mm-hmm. not in like the the 1980s reader right uh, right but as we sort of deconstruct these these barriers we've artificially constructed between each other believing them be, to be inherent to human experience i think mm-hmm. one of the things that needs to happen throughout gender as we move forward is the understanding that people despite gender are not inherently different Mm. Um, mm-hmm. which it, and that's a whole can of beans. That's a whole can of beans to to sure is uncork. Um, but the like 
that is where I start to become uh, uncomfortable in the book. And yeah. I think um, intentionally so. It might be like the, yeah. the discomfort is we should not be so different, but these characters mm-hmm. live in a world where it is different and it is a problem. So it's mm-hmm. not something that I think is good or bad, but it is something that I trip up on. Yeah, um, yeah. Where everything in the book is so intimately and empathetically rendered that uh, happening upon this stratification of gender is something mm-hmm. that I'm like, I, this does not, that's, this doesn't fill my cup. Yeah. And that's interesting because I believe the dedication of the book is, um, I was just looking at it. I think it's dedicated a las mujeres to the women. Uh, which I is, love that. Yeah. I love yeah. That. Um, let me make sure I'm actually correct in that. I feel like I just... No, yeah, it's just... Yeah. Um, so that, and that... If you can hear the book. Oh, I love that. That, That's for Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's a little inside baseball joke. (laughs) Um, but I do think, I, you know... I do think it is what you point out that this is, it is a part of her authentic experience. Yeah, absolutely. That, that stratification of the genders. Um, But I, but I agree. I mean, I, I I do think that um, it's something that hopefully we are moving away from as a society And hopefully we're starting to see uh, our lived experiences as more connected. Yeah. yeah I love that. I love that. At, lived experiences as uh, as connected. Be- because, yeah. like, and I want to say, this doesn't, this doesn't mean I want a book that ignores gender. No. <laughs> no, I, I, no. I don't want a book that's like, yeah. I don't want us to retcon the written word <laughs> to right. be us sitting around a campfire, everyone holding their unisex hands. Like, like <laughs> I don't, I don't, that's not what I want. Um, because for, for us to ignore that there is difference between genders, I say it does a disservice to the people who have been disenfranchised by the construct. Um, yeah. And so we can't just ignore we can't ignore the patriarchy. We can't ignore no. gendered constructs because then we're just going to be devaluing the people who are already disenfranchised by those systems. Totally. Um, yeah. So the goal here is like, I love House on Mango Street. I feel like we're going to be saying this every week, but it's I think it's my favorite <laughs> one so far. Yes! Um, I think it's my favorite one so far, which is like, oh, that's which is insane because I love Color Purple. I yeah. love Color Purple, yeah. but I love House on Mango Street. Yay! Um, and... Uh, understanding that's like we can grow and we can change and we always will despite 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 yes um, oh yeah I think that's I think that's a, a Chen Chen I tweet. want that that's a Chen I was something like that I was just gonna say I want that like on my wall yeah like a, like I want a a thing yeah I think yeah look it up artwork I, Chen Chen that poet Chen Chen I think that's beautiful that's him okay um uh, but yeah, all right. Do, do we want to rate it? Do you have any? Uh, any? Oh my god! Um, how many rabbits? Oh, how many rabbits? What's the highest we've gone? Four and four a half. Four and a half. Yeah, I think four and a half on this. Yeah, I'm, I was it's feeling the same. Be, yeah, it's so, it's so beautiful. And I have to say, those of you who are listening, or Jack, since you're the only one listening to me right <laughs> now live, um, 
don't read what people say on Common Sense Media. I, there are people who ripped her style oh, no. to shreds on Common Sense Media, and I think that they just are wrong um, <laughs> uh, and don't appreciate uh, literary creativity. Was it and, the vignette um, style? Yes, yes, it was the vignette what? style, and there were there were some people who were criticizing things like, "Oh, she didn't use quotation marks," and I want to be like, "Oh, like, oh man, that's are you fucking kidding that's me!" Such smooth brain <laughs> criticism. <laughs> smooth brain. Smooth oh my god, brain. I love that. Oh, but yeah. Um, so don't don't look at common sense media, folks. Read the damn book for yourselves. It, it, Four and a half rabbits. It makes me think. Yes. I in the past, like in high school, I was writing about John Green. Uh, for this mm-hmm. one, and I was like looking up criticism of it to, to use, and I don't, I don't remember the website, but there's this website. It's like a, a Christian website. Are ah. you familiar with like with... possibly? And, and they they rated it, but like it, it was unclear that they were like a Christian organization, like off, oh, off the bat. Okay. Um, okay. But they like rated stuff on like this is inappropriate. This... this is inappropriate. This might be common sense media because they do ratings oh, man. of um, of books, TV shows. They'll, Is it based they'll... off of like sexual activity, drug usage? Uh, yes. Yeah. Hang on, let me. Uh, let me. Let me. Let me. Let me. Find... I just remember reading up on Looking for Alaska, and they're like, most of these teenagers have had sexual yes. interactions with each other. Yes, and that is a big no-no. It's a big no-no. Oh my god. Um. Yeah, let me see. So yeah, people on Common Sense Media only gave this an average of three stars, which, uh, sorry guys, you're wrong. They're they're wrong. I'm um, surprised it's not worse. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, but number one on the parents the parents say section, uh, one star worst book my child has read in a long time. <laughs> what? Yeah. I love yeah. the idea of like a blogger who writes reviews solely on how <laughs> their, their, child. their child does it. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just I, thinking about like if I reviewed books based on what my toddler does with them. I, I love the idea. Yeah. You, you give your baby like Moby Dick. Yeah. <laughs> he like rips out all the whale facts, chapters, eats it. He's like, very tasty. And you're like, this was the most delicious book my son has ever read. The most delicious. Um, yeah, I have a feeling this is the website that you were looking at because um, I'm just going to pop it into the chat here for you to check out. Right. Listeners, we can totally get rid of all of this moment. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's kind of intense. Oh, it looks, the, looks the, yeah. Look at yeah, this. The, I shouldn't. I shouldn't read these because we're probably gonna. Oh, look yeah. at this. this title has too much sex. <laughs> that is so predatory in nature. Funny. That's funny because yeah. these are the same people that are gonna read like a farewell to arms and be like, "This is yeah, yep, yeah." And it's it's a thing. So, in reading all of these reviews that parents are writing, oh my god, this deals with violence and sexual assault and blah blah mm-hmm. blah, and I'm like, you know what, like. I understand, like, I'm a parent. I understand that you don't want your child to know that the world is a horrible place sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, wouldn't you rather have them learn that from reading a book, a work of fiction, than just experiencing it firsthand? Mm -hmm. And also the fact that 
there are people who experience this firsthand and you're just going to totally negate them so that little Johnny doesn't have nightmares. Like, I don't know. I just, it, it pisses me the, off. These That's are the reviews of the parents of the boys who did a coloring sheet while they taught the girls about menstruation. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, we can edit all of that out. No, I love that. I love that. Um, um, th- this part where we're talking, actually, no, you know what? We're going to sleep sleep in the bed we make. Um, all right, okay. So that's, yeah, jeez, okay. <laughs> it's It's time. It's time. It's time. So I uh, that's that's it for today's episode of summer summer reading podcast the summer reading podcast. Um, I almost got the title wrong because I was thinking about other shit. Um, hey, it happens. Join us next time. Where Marty? Do you want to do? Do you want to do the big reveal? Dun 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 dun. We will be reading and discussing the classic Lord of the Flies by William Golding. Very exciting stuff. Got put oh, put yeah. it on hold today. My my mom was actually at the library. This was crazy. (gasps) Oh, cute. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Thank goodness she got out today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, She she was at the library. I haven't put a book on hold because I've been obsessively buying books. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's been a while since I I put a book on hold. And there was a time where uh, I'd walk into the library every week. And mm-hmm. it, like with such frequency that the librarians stopped asking why I was there. They just go to the oh, sure. they just go to the on hold shelf, get like yep. the ten books I put on hold, and just like dump it. And they're like, okay. And so that, like I was so weird that my mom was like, went to the library today. Your <gasps> name was mentioned. Oh, oh, and I was like, what? That's, that's special, Jack. Is it because they think? Are 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 they ashamed of me for putting Lord of the Flies? No, maybe maybe they were worried. <laughs> oh dear God, why is he reading Lord of the Flies? They're like, oh, maybe he started dating someone. Oh gosh, golly, it's me again. Come to you from far in the future to give you the credits. Gosh, golly, didn't they read that book? They read that book and talked about it so hard. And now it's time to give credit where credit's due. All right, our music is by Nathan Morrissey. He's a good lad. You can find him on nathan.morrissey77 on Instagram. Our editor is the brilliant and amazing and wonderful and lovely Rosa Maria Capano Kroll. You can find her at Crochetwell on Instagram and uh, on Etsy too. Go support her there. That's my uh, brilliant, wonderful mother. Uh, The Summer Reading Podcast was created by Marty Mason, our librarian, and myself, Jack Kroll. Uh, you can find us uh, not on any social at the moment, but you can email us at summerreadingpodcast at gmail.com. That's summerreadingpodcast, no spaces, at gmail.com. We would love if you have any book recommendations for us or corrections uh, or just nice things. Just just tell us nice things if you'd like. Uh, other than that, I hope to see you or hear you or hear from you next time. <laughs>